Good to see you this morning. So Luke 23 is where we're up to. Still in Luke 23. But we're getting there, moving closer to the Easter story. And uh, it's almost as if it was planned this way all those years ago when we started. That we would finish in Easter 2016, whatever year it is. Uh, Before we get into this, um, mums, it's your day and rightly so. Fantastic. For every time that you have cared, every time you've been up in the night, every time that you have shed a tear, every time that you have felt, am I really doing this right? don't seem to remember having any lessons at college about this or anything else. Every time that you have stretched out to care for a broken heart or a fearful heart, um, well done and thank you. It was God's idea you should be a mum. And God's very pleased about it. Um, So it's right that we have a day, albeit it doesn't particularly (coughs) come into the church's calendar in that sense. And shops seem to be filled with cards and it's yet another commercial thing. It does give us an opportunity to honour God's idea of family, uh, which is really, really important. So well done. Um, And there's no better way to start this morning, even as we head into this story, because it does you good to know the pleasure of God and his affirmation. So very, very well done, um, regardless of how you feel and where your situation is, whether or not they're still running around at three in the morning or whether or not you've kind of been through that season and are kind of grateful. Um, we're kind of heading into a season where they're older now, but some of your older mums say, oh, they never leave. <laughs> you see, they <laughs> never leave. They're still around. Just the geography gets a bit different. But uh, well done. And I wanted to honour you right at the start. Let's start to read this story. Uh, We're picking up in verse 26. So where we've got up to is Jesus has been kind of at this trial. It was a bit of a mock trial, really. And Pilate has just agreed to hand him over to the crowd. Verse 25 uses that phrase. Um, So we're going to go straight into 26. Pilate has said, okay, crowd, you want Jesus to be crucified, you can have him. Um, And then it carries on. As they led him away... They seized one, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid uh, (coughs) laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. Uh, And there followed him a great multitude of the people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. Turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. They will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Just to explain what's happening there, Jesus is saying, He is here, there is life. The promises of God that have been laid out for centuries in the Old Testament are now being fulfilled, um, but they're crucifying him. They're handing him over to be killed. Uh, and worse things are going to come. It's Luke referencing again that there will be Jerusalem itself will be destroyed. Um, and a little bit later, when Rome does in fact destroy Jerusalem, what Jesus is talking about here is fulfilled. That even worse things come. Um, and his reference to kind of green and dry is saying, my life is here. It's, like it, what, it's what brings life to the wood. Um, And if they're attacking the wood now, if they're bringing this tree down now while it's still green, what will happen when it's dead? What will happen when I've gone? That's just to explain. That's what Jesus means with that little bit of poetic language. 
So <clears throat> let's read on. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the Chosen One. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There's also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged uh, rallied at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Don't you fear God? You're under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed, justly, we're receiving the true reward for our deeds. This man, he's done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. We'll stop there. Amazing reading. Absolutely so much that is in here in terms of what Jesus endured for us. But here's the question I want us to answer this morning. For many of us, this will be a very familiar story, a familiar passage. It's at the center of the songs we sing, uh, the heart of everything, Jesus giving his life. Um, but I want us to take a little bit of a different angle and ask this. What, <coughs> what is the gospel? What is the good news? What is it that the church <coughs> call the gospel? Because um, we're coming right into the heart of that. And I think we would say, well, surely, Andy, it's, it's this story. It's Jesus dying for us on the cross, which of course it is. Um, but let me unpack it a little bit. If you look in this story, you'll see every aspect of what makes up the, the message of good news. That's what the word gospel means. It means good news. It was a word at that time that people would understand as simply good news. Normally a, a king would use it. The people would cry out uh, if the king had triumphed in something, they would triumph they would shout out, gospel, there is good news, the king has triumphed. Um, that's what we mean by gospel. And if you look at this story, it's all here. Firstly, the story starts off, and we can just keep the sections up. So the first section, as we look at this, they led him away. This is, this is amazing. Who are they leading away? They're leading away God. They're leading away God in human form, Jesus, the one who everything in the world was made, the one who was there right at the beginning. Stars, cosmos, universe, everything we see, everything we touch, everything science is discovering, as you've heard me say before, and I see on our news story this weekend, they've now discovered this weird like creature at the bottom of the Pacific Ocean that they've never seen before, wondering if it's a, a creature, a new species. And after all these years, on all these decades of exploring, we're still discovering things we had no idea were there. And that's on our planet. Yet alone in the millions and billions of stars that there is out there that we're still trying to explore. And how did it get there? Jesus had a conversation. We'll have some stars. We'll have some weird octopus things that the media will nickname Casper after a cartoon character. And we'll just let him run around the ocean for Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and no one will know he's there, apart from me and a few angels who watched us in the creation. And that, that's how it played out, creature after creature. They were there 
the Lord of all, the Lord of creation. As Peter calls him in Pentecost, uh, the Lord of life itself. And they are leading him away. And in fact, he's so weak, he can't carry his own cross. He's been so beaten, so mocked that he cannot carry his own cross. So they grab someone else to take it. The gospel, thinking of our question, which I'll keep coming to through here, through this morning, is God coming to us? Is God entering right into our world? Is God identifying with this broken, wicked, evil world full of injustice? He stepped right in. He didn't simply send messengers after messenger and then himself come and speak a message. He came and entered right in and, in, and emptied himself of everything that he was. This is sometimes Paul and others talk about the offence of the gospel. And you think, well, why is it offensive? It's offensive right here. How is this good news? That here's this man from this obscure town, this obscure place, that if it wasn't for his resurrection, we wouldn't be celebrating or thinking about today. And here he is being led away like a common criminal. And you're trying to tell me this is the world being rescued? You're trying to tell me this is sin, wickedness, injustice, and oppression being overcome? You're trying to tell me this is God's answer for everything I see in the media today, for everything that's wrong in the world? This is what God's doing about it? Yes. This is exactly what's happening here. This is why it's good news. That Jesus identified himself, humbled himself, God emptied himself surrendered himself, humbled himself of all his power, of all his glory, so that he just looked like a common criminal. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what Jesus did for your wickedness, for your sin. This is what Jesus did for the world. And the mockery and the humility and the emptying runs right the way through the story. Starting with that first line, they led him away. He handed himself over. They took him to the place of the skull, which is outside the city. Jesus had come for the city. He'd wept over the city. And now he's taken outside of the city to where the rubbish is burnt, to where criminals are taken. There is shame running through this story. That the Lord of glory, the Lord who is holy, the Lord who is righteous, the Lord who no one could accuse rightly of doing anything wrong, now ends up dying in the rubbish dump, in the place of the skull, the place of death, outside the city that he came to rescue, that he came to save. Outside the city that he wept over. He's now taken outside. The soldiers mock him. The rulers mock him. If you're the Christ, if you're really who you say you are, well, then you can rescue yourself, can't you? You can <coughs> get yourself out of this mess, if you really are. In other words, clearly you're not who you say you are. What kind of king, what kind of saviour, what kind of messiah, what kind of Christ ends up in the rubbish dump outside the city? This is the gospel. This is what we call good news. This is what we call victory and rescue. This is God working in our world. That Jesus, the creator, the holy one, ends up enduring such shame, such agony, such mockery. Entering right in, becoming almost sin itself in order that you and I could be rescued. This identification is Jesus putting himself right in the place of the weak and the powerless. The authorities are laughing and mocking. 
Jesus is so weak and so broken, he cannot even carry his own cross. This is God identifying with the worst in society, with the most broken and the most weak. That is the gospel. The gospel, though, is also salvation. Jesus referenced the judgment that will come on Jerusalem. I explained that to you as we read the reading. Jesus saying, if you're going to do this now, there there is worse coming for you because Jerusalem will be judged. And actually, Jesus, it's a reference to, as it is throughout Luke's gospel, that more judgment is to come. Yes, Jerusalem will be sacked by Rome, but actually there's even more judgment coming. And the gospel is salvation for us from God's judgment, God's anger, God's holy anger at everything that is wrong in the world. That is the gospel. That's why Jesus is identifying himself. That's why Jesus is entering right in. That's why Jesus is allowing himself to be taken to the place of the cross, in order to the place of the skull, in order that you and I don't have to be. That's why this is good news. Yeah, it's offensive. Yeah, you think, is this God really rescuing? Yes, it is. Because Jesus takes on himself all the anger, all the wrath, all the brokenness, all the pain, all the injustice in order that you and I don't have to. And in the story, the thief, the other man on the cross, he sees it. He glimpses it. Somehow he knows. And the gospel is forgiveness as well. Because Jesus turns to him and says, you will be with me. <clears throat> the man understood that through what was happening, somehow through what was happening, that there would be forgiveness. Not only are we rescued from judgment, but also we can be forgiven. Everything we have done, everything we have contributed, every foul word, every wrong attitude, every bit of unforgiveness we have had, every bit of anger, every lustful thought, everything that we have ever done, Jesus took on himself So like the thief alongside him, we can say, Jesus, remember me, and Jesus will. And our sin and our unrighteousness is totally forgiven. The gospel is acceptance in response to faith. Notice what Jesus says to the man on the cross. Today, you will be with me. It's not just a cold kind of, right, you're forgiven. You're forgiven, bless you. You're forgiven, my son, bless you. You're forgiven, you're forgiven. Just an announcement. Now the gospel is restoration of relationship with Jesus. Today you will be with me. As to what the today is, is it a literal today? Is it a literal when Jesus dies there together? I'm not going to get hung up on that. We don't need to look at it. That's not the point that Luke's making. The point that Luke is making is that even here, even in the middle of all of this, Jesus asks his enemies to be forgiven. The thief on the cross with him sees this and says, can you have mercy on me? And Jesus responds. I don't know how you're feeling about your faith at the moment, whether or not you feel your faith is strong, whether or not you feel you're someone whose faith is weak and small and tiny. But for Jesus, faith, even the size of a mustard seed, is enough for him to come running to you and rescue you. You think this, this man had been living in sin all his life. He's done wrong things. He's done terrible things. That's why he's ending up on the cross. And he st- sees glimpses during his last breaths who Jesus is. Understands that Jesus is innocent. Understand that this Jesus is the King of the Jews. Understands that this Jesus is the Son of God. And he says, will you remember me? 
And Jesus says, today we'll be together. The gospel is restoration of relationship with God. That's why this is good news. To sum this all up, the gospel is sacrificial love. Amazing, incredible love. For God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. He entered in. (coughs) He became one of us. He put himself in the place of the weak, the broken, the most wicked. He went outside the city in order that you and I could have our relationship restored with Jesus, in order that you and I could know total forgiveness, in order that you and I could be declared righteous, in order that you and I could be with him forever and ever and ever. That's good news. I said that's good news. I realize we went through that pretty quick and it's a lot to take in, but that is good news. And it's all there in the story. It's been there running right the way through Jesus' life. Every broken person he met, every person he healed, every Gentile people not of the promise who he spent time with, Zacchaeus who he had a meal with, it's running right the way through. Jesus, are you going to go and see the religious rulers? Are you going to hang out with the people who are in power? Are you going to make sure that Pilate and everybody else is on board with your rescue plan? No, not interested in them because they're not interested in me. I'll go to the broken. I'll go to the weak. I'll go to those who, as Jesus put it, know they are ill. I haven't come for the well. I've come for the sick. And it runs right the way through what we call the Gospels, the good news. And it culminates here where even as he's being beaten, laughed at and mocked, he cries out, Father, forgive them. What, what love. What incredible sacrifice that Jesus ends up in that place in order that you and I don't. But there's more here. Much, much more. See, how do we know everything I've just said? How do we know that this is the gospel? How do we know this is good news? Well, because it's in the story. Because it's not a trick question. But it's a powerful question. Because these events happened. Because Jesus lived like this. Because Jesus did become broken. Because Jesus did identify. People saw it. People witnessed it. Herod, Pilate, the rulers, the disciples, the women lamenting for him. They wrote about it afterwards. This happened. And this is the gospel. That it's not simply talked about, but it was lived out. It was demonstrated. Jesus didn't turn up and say, here's some good news. Here's a gospel. Forgiveness is available. A different way of living is available. You religious rulers, you're very corrupt and you're oppressing the people. I'd like that to change. Jesus didn't do that. They'd sent prophet after prophet and no one listened to them. So it was enough of the prophets. It was enough of proclaiming it. Jesus didn't turn up and simply say, hey, there is forgiveness. There is love for enemies. There is a different way. Oh, he did teach that. He did proclaim it, but he didn't only proclaim it. Jesus lived it. Jesus demonstrated it. Jesus gave his life for it. And this is the gospel. And the church can be in danger of reducing the gospel to a message, to a set of statements, to words that can be declared. Powerful and amazing words, incredibly challenging words, but words nonetheless, without them being lived out and demonstrated the way Jesus did. See, the gospel is lived out. The gospel is meant to be demonstrated. The gospel is meant to be displayed. The gospel is a way of living, not simply a collection of statements which, if you believe, save you and rescue you. That's not what Jesus did. 
Jesus lived on this earth, identifying with the weak and the broken and the excluded, and said, this is good news. We know that we are to be followers of Jesus, and obedience to his teaching is very much on the church's agenda. But we can lose the radical nature of what the gospel is, sacrificing our lives, our priorities, in order to bring love and hope to the weak, the excluded, and the powerless. Church can end up being a group of people who love Jesus for everything he has done, and that should be celebrated, but in the end, we're hanging out with people just like us and singing about a gospel which has totally changed our lives, and we should sing about it, and we will do so this morning, I hope with even more fervency off the back of zooming in on this story. But in the end, in the week, where we live and where we work, do the broken, the powerless, the weak, and the excluded know what we've been singing about, or does it become a statement of beliefs and doctrine that warms our hearts, but in the end doesn't make the difference that the life of Jesus did? This is the radical nature of how Jesus lived. He didn't come for the powerful. He didn't come for those who thought their lives were okay. He didn't come to simply improve things and offer an alternative way of living and to make your life better. He came for the broken. He came for the lost. He came for the weak. And in this story this morning, we see all of that lived out and exemplified powerfully as he ended up laughed at and mocked and outside the city. This is the gospel. This is the good news. And this runs into the New Testament. Paul asks the church to live the same way as Jesus did. Philippians 2, if we can put that up on the screen, please. So before this famous passage, which many of us will know, those of us who, who know our Bibles, just ahead of this, Paul says, have any of you encouraged by knowing Jesus? And you can imagine the church saying, yes. Are any of you comforted by his peace? Yes. Are any of you strengthened in the gospel? Yes. Then make my joy complete and do what Jesus did. Have the same mind and empty yourself. Be like Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God's exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Note the power of what Paul is saying. Have you been encouraged by the love of God? Yes. Have you benefited from the fellowship of the Holy Spirit? Yes. Well, make my joy complete, church. Do what Jesus did. Empty yourself. Become a servant even to the point of sacrifice. And for Paul at that time, that could mean your life. That's the gospel. That's what it means. That's the message we sing about and the message that we celebrate, that our lives are to be emptied. Yeah, we receive blessing. Yes, we'll never stop singing about the forgiveness and righteousness which is ours, the restoration of relationship, Jesus running to us for a glimpse of, of in response to a tiny bit of faith. But the gospel in the end is about us emptying ourselves in order that more weak, more broken, and more excluded people can know this good news. The church, as it runs through the New Testament, is the body of Christ. What does that actually mean? 
It means what we're talking about. It means Jesus carrying on being in the broken places of Birmingham, being among the weak, being among the hungry, being among those who are excluded, not in the powerful places, not in the significant places, not in the places where laws are passed or anything else. Yeah, we want to influence. Yeah, we want to be heard. But actually, the body of Christ means being in the places where Jesus would be. I wonder where Jesus would hang out if he was in our city. I wonder what places he would go to. It's probably some of the places where the church can be too scared to go and the church doesn't think we should be. But that's where Jesus would be. This is the gospel. I read this quote recently um, and it scares me. So I thought I'd scare you. This is from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you may know that name, not ever so well known, but he was writing, making a stand for Jesus during Nazi Germany. Um, And whilst the church wasn't, or many parts of the church weren't, um, and were either going silent on what Hitler was doing, or some were getting behind him in the name of wanting to influence, in the name of wanting uh, to kind of maintain their place, Bonhoeffer stood against it all um, and wrote some remarkable things. And this is one of the things he said. It's not simply to be taken for granted that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. For this cause he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian too belongs not in the seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is commission, his work. The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be in the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the bad people, but with the devout people. Oh, you blasphemous and betrayers of Christ. If Christ had done what you are doing, who would have ever been spared? That's pretty punchy, isn't it? Pretty provocative. I still haven't reconciled that with how I'm living. Don't stand up here as someone who can say to you, follow my example. I fear I can enjoy the company too much of other Christians, enjoy the blessing too much of being able to walk into a room like this and know I'm accepted and know I understand people and know I get them because they're just like me. But that's not what Jesus did. And that's not what the gospel is. Jesus went to his enemies. Jesus went to the excluded. Jesus went to the broken. And I know that all of us are only here because we were broken, because Jesus came to us, because we needed to receive his love, his mercy, and his grace. But the danger is the church can end up being a place where we celebrate that with one another and form groups of where we're the same. And meanwhile, the divisions, the barriers, the classes that remain in place and there are still people who do not know. And this is the gospel because this is the story of how Jesus lived. Instead of a gospel that takes us to our enemies, that takes us to the weak and the broken, we can be in danger of living out a gospel that leaves us pursuing our own needs, that results in the church enjoying God's presence in a way that makes us feel better and more valued. We can ensure we get secure in our own identity in Christ, enjoy the love of our Heavenly Father, doing all we can to produce events and meetings to achieve this. The success of a church can even be measured in how much freedom there is to enjoy all of these things, like God's presence and spiritual gifts and everything else. None of this, hear me, None of this is outside the gospel. None of this is excluded in what Jesus has won for us 
It's all what he's won for us. Restored relationship, knowing his presence, enjoying him come close to us, being overwhelmed by the love of the Father. But it's not the full outworking of what Jesus entered into our world to do. It is not rescuing the weak, the poor, and the broken. It is not demonstrating a love that overcomes social and racial barriers and can be seen in radical ways outside of our meetings and into our neighborhoods and workplaces. Churches run projects and ministries that express love and care for the disadvantaged and needy. We do that. It's important. Churches can send people overseas to places where Jesus isn't known. We do that. It's important. But Jesus intended that every member live this way that every member became his body on earth, that everyone became a demonstration of the gospel, whatever that means where you and I live and where we work. (coughs) A church may use a proportion of its income and people resources to reach out, but in some ways that is not the same as sacrificial living out of the good news where significant amounts of our money, of our time and our resources are spent on living with and caring for the marginalised and broken in our communities. This kind of expression of the good news is deeply challenging, I know that. Deeply provocative and demanding. If we live like this, it would affect our schedules, our pockets, our priorities and our reputation. But this is the gospel because this is what Jesus did because this is how Jesus lived and Jesus said, follow me. The writer to the Hebrews wants to remind them that they should live like this. If we can put that reading up, this is from Hebrews 13. The bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So that's the Old Testament law. We can read about it in Leviticus that when the sacrifice took place, what was left was to be taken outside the camp because it was unclean. It had become sin. It had become wrong. So the whole sacrificial system, what Jesus became for us, was that that carcass is now unclean. Take it outside the city. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. It's pointing again at what we've just read and how Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament law and why his death had to be outside the city because he was becoming unclean. He was becoming sin for us. But then he goes on and says this, therefore let us go to him outside the camp, outside the city and bear the reproach that he endured. For here we have no lasting city. We seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips and acknowledge his name. And then do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such other sacrifices pleasing to God. Right to the Hebrew says Jesus went outside the city. Now you do the same. Oh there's reproach. Oh people will look, they'll laugh, they'll mock. You'll think this is good news. You'll think this is making a difference. You'll think this is what God wants. So there is a cost in our reputation. There is laughter. There is mockery. There is exactly what Jesus endured. As Jesus identified with us, let us now identify with him outside the city. We say we're here for the good of our city, and we are. We are here to love the city, and we should. But the city, this city, isn't the one we live for. And in fact, although we may love the city, the city won't love us. We will need to bear the reproach. 
We don't live for the affirmation and acceptance of the population of this city. We don't live for the wealth and success that can be found in our society. We live outside the city, (coughs) different from the city, in order to join Jesus in living out the good news of love, acceptance and forgiveness for the excluded, the broken and the poor. We're living for another city, the one that will come from heaven, the one where there will be complete righteousness, the one where there will be no more wickedness, no more evil, and no more sin, the one we see in Jerusalem. We're not to live for this one, we're to love this one, but we're to remain outside just as Jesus did. So to come back to my question then, to finish, what is the gospel? It's everything we said in this story. It's everything about reconciliation. It's everything about forgiveness. It's everything about incredible love. And in a few minutes, we will worship thanking Jesus for his incredible love. And we will come to him and enjoy it and celebrate it. That is the gospel. But the full expression of the gospel is the church living like Jesus, displaying God's incredible love, displaying his incredible sacrifice for those not like us, for the weak and the broken, overcoming barriers of (coughs) social barriers and language barriers and barriers of poverty and overcoming those in a way that displays how Jesus lived. The gospel isn't simply a message that's proclaimed. It's not simply a set of statements that you ask people to believe. It is an incarnation of the love of Jesus and it means living different. So, what are you going to do with all of this? Pretty intense this morning. I make no apology. The only apology I do make is I'm not far enough down the road to say, follow me. Still wrestling with what this means. So what should we do? Let's land this. Let's make sure we keep understanding what the gospel really is. Let's keep understanding we provoke one another to understand that it's a life lived out, not simply celebrating his life. I need to put out my notes for the next site. That wasn't there. Let's make sure it's a life lived out and it's not simply celebrating his life and telling people about his life, but living that out as we become agents of the gospel because it's changed us. Next, let's keep being filled with his amazing love. Let's keep coming to him in faith. Let's keep coming to him to receive from him his presence, his love, that restored relationship because we need that. That's what he won us for. He didn't win us simply that we could run around doing lots of things. He won us in order to be with him. But in the being with him, in the receiving of his love, let's make sure it fills our hearts with a compassion for those who don't have, for those who don't know That is the point of receiving his love. We're in danger of all our kind of worship, latest songs and albums and everything else, of turning it into something we simply receive. It gets us going through the week and then we come back for more. Now the whole point is, is to receive his love in order that you can then express that love, that mercy and that acceptance to the broken who are around you. So we're still landing in the same place. Enjoy the love of your Father. Receive it. Abandon yourself to it. He went through this in order to have you. He went through this in order to win you. He went outside the city. He was laughed. He was mocked. He was beaten because he wanted your heart. Because he wanted to rescue you from sin and darkness. Never ever grow tired of receiving that. 
never ever grow tired of worshipping and celebrating that. But what I'm pleading for, what I'm provoking us for and provoking myself for, is then don't let it end there. Let it flow in order for the broken, in order for the weak, and in order for the excluded. And if we do that, well, we've got to make some decisions then. What do our diaries look like? Who do we hang out with? Who do we speak to that perhaps we didn't speak to before because we weren't sure what to say to them? What do our priorities look like? We need to let the gospel change that. And yeah, there's a challenge, and I'm not sitting on any great answers here, but we really do need to spend more time with people not like us. We really do need to spend time with people from other faiths or find ways to get to people from another social class. We really do need to enter in like Jesus entered in. And in the end, I don't think we need a conference or a strategy or a list of instructions, however much we wish someone else could do it for us or show us or give us a package of step one, two, and three. I think Jesus has. Love your neighbor as yourself. Spend time with people. Love them. That's as far as I got in what I think we should do. All of us going away, saying, God, who is there around me? Who's in my world already? Who is it that I need to be demonstrating the gospel to in the way that Jesus did?